Section 30 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 30. Moiron. As we were still talking about Pranzini, Monsieur Malheureux, who had been Attorney General under the Empire, said, Oh, I formerly knew a very curious affair, curious for several reasons, as you will see. I was at that time Imperial Attorney in one of the provinces. I had to take up the case which has remained famous under the name of the Moiron case. Monsieur Moiron, who was a teacher in the north of France, enjoyed an excellent reputation throughout the whole country. He was a person of intelligence, quiet, very religious, a little taciturn. He had married in the district of Boislinot, where he exercised his profession. He had three children who had died of consumption one after the other. From this time he seemed to bestow upon the youngsters confided to his care all the tenderness of his heart. With his own money he bought toys for his best scholars and for the good boys. He gave them little dinners and stuffed them with delicacies, candy, and cakes. Everybody loved this good man with his big heart, when suddenly five of his pupils died in a strange manner, one after the other. It was supposed that there was an epidemic due to the condition of the water resulting from drought. They looked for the causes without being able to discover them, the more so that the symptoms were so peculiar. The children seemed to be attacked by a feeling of lassitude. They would not eat. They complained of pains in their stomachs, dragged along for a short time, and died in frightful suffering. A post-mortem examination was held over the last one, but nothing was discovered. The vitals were sent to Paris and analyzed, and they revealed the presence of no toxic substance. For a year, nothing new developed. Then two little boys, the best scholars in the class, Moron's favorites, died within four days of each other. An examination of the bodies was again ordered, and in both of them were discovered tiny fragments of crushed glass. The conclusion arrived at was that the two youngsters must have imprudently have eaten from some carelessly cleaned receptacle. A glass broken over a pail of milk could have produced this frightful accident, and the affair would have been pushed no further if Moron's servant had not been taken sick at this time. The physician who was called in noticed the same symptoms he had seen in the children. He questioned her and obtained the admission that she had stolen and eaten some candies that had been bought by the teacher for his scholars. On an order from the court, the schoolhouse was searched, and a closet was found which was full of toys and dainties destined for the children. Almost all these delicacies contained bits of crushed glass or pieces of broken needles. Moiron was immediately arrested, but he seemed so astonished and indignant at the suspicion hanging over him that he was almost released. However, indications of his guilt kept appearing, and baffled in my mind my first conviction, based on his excellent reputation, on his whole life, on the complete absence of any motive for such a crime. Why should this good, simple, religious man have killed little children, and the very children whom he seemed to love the most, whom he spoiled and stuffed with sweet things, for whom he spent half his salary in buying toys and bonbons? One must consider him insane to believe him guilty of this act. Now, Moiron seemed so normal, so quiet, so rational and sensible that it seemed impossible to adjudge him insane. However, the proofs kept growing, and none of the candies that were bought at the places where the schoolmaster secured his provisions could the slightest trace of anything suspicious be found. He then insisted that an unknown enemy must have opened his cupboard with a false key in order to introduce the glass and the needles into the eatables. Then he made up a whole story of an inheritance dependent on the death of a child, determined on and sought by some peasant, and promoted thus by casting suspicions on the schoolmaster. This brute, he claimed, did not care about the other children who were forced to die as well. The story was possible. The man appeared to be so sure of himself, and in such despair, that we should undoubtedly have acquitted him, notwithstanding the charges against him, if two crushing discoveries had not been made one after the other. The first one was a snuff-box full of crushed glass, his own snuff-box, hidden in the desk where he kept his money. He explained this new find in an acceptable manner, as the roofs of the real unknown criminal, 
but a mercer from saint marlouf came to the presiding judge and said the gentleman had several times come to his store to buy some needles and he always asked for the thinnest needles he could find and would break them to see whether they pleased him the man was brought forward in the presence of a dozen or more persons and immediately recognized moron the inquest revealed that the schoolmaster had indeed gone into saint marlouf on the days mentioned by the tradesman I will pass over the terrible testimony of children on the choice of dainties and the care which he took to have them eat the things in his presence and to remove the slightest traces. Public indignation demanded capital punishment, and it became more and more insistent overturning all objections. Moron was condemned to death, and his appeal was rejected. Nothing was left for him but the imperial pardon. I knew through my father that the emperor would not grant it. One morning as I was working in my study, the visit of the prison almoner was announced. He was an old priest who knew men well and understood the habits of criminals. He seemed troubled, ill at ease, nervous. After talking for a few minutes about one thing and another, he arose and said suddenly, If Maron is executed, monsieur, you will have put an innocent man to death. Then he left without bowing, leaving me behind with the deep impression made by his words. He had pronounced them in such a sincere and solemn manner, opening those lips, closed and sealed by the secret of confession, in order to save a life. An hour later I left for Paris, and my father immediately asked that I be granted an audience with the emperor. The following day I was received. His Majesty was working in a little reception room when we were introduced. I described the whole case, and I was just telling about the priest's visit when a door opened behind the sovereign's chair, and the Empress, who supposed she was alone, appeared. His Majesty, Napoleon, consulted her. As soon as she had heard the matter, she exclaimed, This man must be pardoned. He must, since he is innocent. Why did the sudden conviction of a religious woman cast a terrible doubt in my mind? Until then I had ardently desired a change of sentence. And now I suddenly felt myself the toy, the dupe of a cunning criminal who had employed the priest in confession as the last means of defense. I explained my hesitancy to their majesties. The emperor remained undecided, urged on one side by his natural kindness, and held back on the other by the fear of being deceived by a criminal. But the empress, who was convinced that the priest had obeyed a divine inspiration, kept repeating, Never mind, it is better to spare a criminal than to kill an innocent man. Her advice was taken. The death sentence was commuted to one of hard labor. A few years later, I heard that Moron had again been called to the emperor's attention on account of his exemplary conduct in the prison at Toulon, and was now employed as a servant by the director of the penitentiary. For a long time, I heard nothing more of this man. But about two years ago, while I was spending a summer near Lille with my cousin, de Lariel, I was informed one evening, just as we were sitting down to dinner, that a young priest wished to speak to me. I had him shown in, and he begged me to come to a dying man who desired absolutely to see me. This had often happened to me in my long career as a magistrate and, although I had been set aside by the Republic, I was still often called upon in similar circumstances. I therefore followed the priest, who led me to a miserable little room in a large tenement house. There I found a strange-looking man on a bed of straw, sitting with his back against the wall in order to get his breath. He was a sort of skeleton with dark, gleaming eyes. As soon as he saw me, he murmured, "'Don't you recognize me?' "'No.' "'I am Waram.' I felt a shiver run through me, and I asked, "'The schoolmaster?' "'Yes.' "'How do you happen to be here?' The story is too long, I haven't time to tell it. I was going to die, and that priest was brought to me, and as I knew that you were here, I sent for you. It is to you I wish to confess, since you were the one who saved my life. His hands clutched the straw of his bed through the sheet, and he continued in a hoarse, forcible, and low tone. You see, I owe you the truth. I owe it to you, for it must be told to someone before I leave this earth. It is I who killed the children. All of them. I did it, for revenge. Listen. I was an honest, straightforward, pure man, adoring God, this good father, this man who teaches us to love, and not the false God, the executioner, the robber, the murderer who governs the earth. I had never done any harm. I had never committed an evil act. I was as good as it is possible to be, monsieur. 
I married and had three children. I loved them as no father or mother ever loved their children. I lived only for them. I was wild about them, and all three of them died. Why? Why? What had I done? I was rebellious, furious, and suddenly my eyes were opened as if I were waking up out of a sleep. I understood that God is bad. Why had he killed my children? I opened my eyes and saw that he loves to kill. He loves only that, monsieur. He gives life but to destroy it. God, monsieur, is a murderer. He needs death every day, and he makes it of every variety in order to better be amused. He has invented sickness and accidents in order to give him diversion through all the months and the years, and when he grows tired of this, he has epidemics. The plague, cholera, diphtheria, smallpox, everything possible. But this does not satisfy him. All these things are too similar, and so from time to time he has wars in order to see two hundred thousand soldiers killed at once, crushed in blood and in the mud, blown apart, their arms and legs torn off, their heads smashed by bullets like eggs that fall on the ground. But this is not all. He has made men who eat each other. And then, as men become better than he, he has made beasts in order to see men hunt and kill them, and eat them. That is not all. He has made tiny little animals which live one day, flies who die by the millions in one hour, ants which we are continually crushing under our feet, and so many, many others that we cannot even imagine. And all these things are continually killing each other and dying. And the good Lord looks on and is amused, for he sees everything, the big ones as well as the little ones, those who are in the drops of water and those in the other firmaments. He watches them and is amused. Wretch. Then, monsieur, I began to kill children. I played a trick on him. He did not get those. It was not he but I. And I would have killed many others, but you caught me. There. I was to be executed. I. How he would have laughed. Then I asked for a priest and I lied. I confessed to him. I lied and I lived. Now all is over. I can no longer escape from him. I no longer fear him, monsieur. I despise him too much. This poor wretch was frightful to see as he lay there gasping, opening an enormous mouth in order to utter words which could scarcely be heard, his breath rattling, picking at his bed and moving his thin legs under a grimy sheet as though trying to escape. Oh, the mere remembrance of it is frightful. You have nothing more to say? I asked. No, monsieur. Then farewell. Farewell, monsieur, till some day. I turned to the ashen-faced priest, whose dark outline stood out against the wall, and asked, Are you going to stay here, monsieur l'abbé? Yes. Then the dying man sneered. Yes, yes, he sends his vultures to the corpses. I had had enough of this. I opened the door and ran away. End of section 30. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.